cancer knows no boundaries, doesn't care about zip codes, income, age. But neither do we. As New York's most experienced cancer team, Northwell brings life-saving care to all with our network of nationally recognized hospitals and specialists. Because boundaries shouldn't exist when it comes to defeating cancer and raising health for every neighborhood, for every community, for you. Visit northwell.edu slash saving lives. Northwell Cancer Institute. Raise health.
Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving a few days ago. I know I did. I'm getting ready for the Christmas holiday. It's the last show of November. It is the 27th, and we got a great one for everybody tonight. Robert Aquaviva of Luftwaffe. I don't know if he pronounces it the German way, if there's an American way of saying it. And Mere Mortals will be on tonight's show, as well as Lars Lindell from Steel Inferno. But right there, Savage Grace, Fight for Your Life with the Dr. Chris Logue on guitar. Uh, you know, Chris Logue, I guess, sort of semi-put the band back together a while ago with just him in it. And they played at the Keepers of the Flame Festival in Mexico. It was only him with some Mexican band that they used as like a backing group. And it was only really him playing on there. So I don't really consider that Savage Grace. But the Dominatrix, that first record from back in 1983, it was definitely a masterpiece in my opinion. I still have it in my collection. Played on a regular basis. Came out of Metal Blade. Uh, you know, John Burke on vocals. Chris Logue on guitar. Kenny Powell for Moment on guitar. Brian East and Don Finch the third. What an amazing record that was. They didn't really follow it up with anything that I was impressed with. You know, I kind of lost it for the band after that. Master of the Skies came out, had a different singer in it. After the fall from Grace kind of fell apart. And the band was pretty much over and done with by the mid to late 80s. But they are back today. If you consider Chris Logue, you know, Savage Grace in any way, shape, or form. All right. We got a great show tonight. Like I said, the last one of the year. December's upon us, man. We got a really fast December because the holidays fall on Sunday nights this year. Christmas Day and New Year's Day, so there probably won't be any live shows those two days, but we'll record our holiday episodes and get them up for people to listen to. Alright, let's keep the music flowing here. We're going to talk to Robin in about 25 minutes or so. Here's Air Raid, Line of Danger.
some Troy in there. Right before that, Dietrich. That band had an EP out in 82, I believe. It was on a 10-inch vinyl. Uh, the band was named after the singer, I believe, Brad Dietrich. And that song was on the Metal Massacre 2 compilation. This whole week, I've been going through all the old Metal Massacres. I think I got to about <laughs> number 8. I still have a few more to get through. You know, it's been decades since I've played them. So, I've been having a good time going back through some of those bands. Most of, all, all, most of them, especially your early bands, all went on to do something, but not all of them. I thought that was Robert calling in. Okay, I got him on the other line. We'll, we'll talk to him in a few minutes. So let's get back to what he was saying. Uh, something about the Metal Massacre stuff over there. Most of the bands that were on those Metal Massacre records went on to do a lot of other things. And, you know, we'll have those records. Uh, they, that phone call threw me off. I apologize. <laughs> All right. All right, let's get on one or two more songs. Then we'll get Robert on the line. Uh, how about we do some Metal Church? Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since I've played that. I've just been on a big Metal Church kick lately, too. This band should have really went on to do so much more and been so much bigger than they are. I mean, I absolutely love these guys. Uh, here we go, gang. I'm going to play Metal Church. Let me see who's calling on the on the other line. This is the station line, so I don't know why it's ringing if it isn't Robert, but bear with me here.
All right, I apologize. That was the guest from next week's show. He got the weeks kind of confused. I was saying nobody would be calling on that number to the station unless they were calling in for an interview. Uh, so that was what the thing was, but I, I apologize. Uh, right there, Metal Church, Battalions, I was saying one of the greatest bands ever and one of the best lineups you could ever imagine. Those, cl- I mean, it's not the original lineup because Metal Church had a lot of different people in the band uh, you know, before that classic lineup. But, you know, with David Wayne, Kurt Vanderhoof, Craig Wells, Duke Erickson, and Kirk Arrington, that was the lineup. They should have went on to bigger and better things. They just couldn't keep it together, you know? They released that first record on their own label, Ground Zero Records. I believe Steam Hammer kind of released it after that. I still have the original version of that record on Ground Zero. And, uh, you know, when The Dark came out, the band kind of broke a little bit. They got signed to Electro Records. You know, things were happening for them. And then they're just going to keep it together after that. Things fell apart. A couple of years later, they came out with Blessing in Disguise. You know, Mike Howe was out singing with the band. Kurt was actually not even in the band at that point. He left the band. Uh, even though he did write almost all the music from that record and did a little bit of the guitar work on the album, he really wasn't a part of that lineup. Didn't come back to the band until David Wayne came back to the band with the Masterpiece record in 99. And that record kind of fell flat and went nowhere. Uh, but what a great band. You know, we're going to find out, I guess, real soon who the new singer is. It doesn't look like they went with anybody that's known. I think they went with a complete unknown this time, which is probably the best thing to do. Uh, but we'll see. But when I had Kurt on the show, when he first got Mike Howe back in the band, he said if anything ever happened and Mike wasn't in the band anymore, that would be it. He didn't want to go on with a different singer and start this all over again. Uh, but I, I guess he changed his tune. <laughs> so we'll see who's coming in. We'll see what's happening. All right, how about we play some Luftwaffe? I don't know the proper way to say the name, if it's the real German way or an Americanized version of it, but we'll do that. We'll get Robert on the phone right after that. So how about we do Ringmaster?
That's some really good stuff over there. Okay, let's get Robin on the line right now and get this interview going. Bear with me here while we dial him up. Robert, this is Mike. You're on the air live for our interview. How are you? Hey, good, Mike. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. I, I have to tell you, I have to thank heaven and hell for giving us back this music, man. It's been a long time. Oh, yeah. You'll, uh, for sure. Definitely a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did it all come about? How did how did the interest all of a sudden start up again with mere mortals? And how do you pronounce it? Is it the German version, Luftwaffe, or is, or is it an Americanized yeah, version? Luftwaffe. I thought so. That's how we pronounce it. Yeah. Well, that's a tongue twister. You ain't kidding. But we thought it was kind of a we thought it was kind of a cool name because it does mean air power, and we were really into the German metal stuff, early early Scorpions and MSG, and you know the UFO type stuff. That's what we were into. So we figured that would definitely let people know what we were trying to do. Absolutely, and you know if you think about it, I mean when that band came out. It was very early on in, in the metal scene that Young Aggressive was really just starting to form and take off. So, I mean, not a lot of things to draw from, not a lot of influences. And when I listen to that record, I'm like, these guys were all over the place. I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like Frank Zappa meets, you know, like, you know, Except meets the Scorpions meets like 100,000 of the different things. It was just unreal what you created with that album. Well, we were trying to do something different. And myself, I was more of the rock guy and then Tim Gillis who was the drummer he was the lyricist but he was definitely a prog guy so that between the two of us we wrote the music composed the music and the other two guys um, Dave Slife who was the singer and Paul St. James who played bass they just kind of went along with our craziness and that's what we had and we had an outrageous show that went along with all this so yeah it was definitely it was good times for sure when you're putting this music together for the first time and you're hearing it come through, I mean, do you say to yourself, you know, are people going to get this? I mean, are we like going really out on a limb over here? Because, you know, it can go two ways. You want to be so different that people just are drawn to it because they don't know what you're doing. Or but you also want to have a, a sort of semi-commercial appeal so you can actually sell your music. Well, I think the situation was back then that we didn't, you know, we never thought that about getting a record deal or anything like that. We just wanted people to know that we were out there, me and Gillis. We were young at that point, you know, in, in 82, I was 21, you know, so, you know, we were just trying to make a name for ourselves. And really that was just, we weren't really trying to be weird. It was just, that's what happened. It was like a hybrid culmination of his, you know, listening to prog music and me, the rock stuff that I liked and those two things together. That's just how it came about. Yeah, it was a great combination. And But, I mean, you recorded the record. I mean, I guess uh, being that young, you did everything on your own, but there was no label interest at the time where you just couldn't get it put out? No, we never even thought of that. We never we never even thought, let's, you know, try to get label interest. We were just playing week, weekend warriors and, well, maybe three times a week back then playing. But you have to remember, metal music was not really that big and vogue yet i mean it was just starting to come into its own as a matter of fact we used to have to play a whole set of led zeppelin to get in the club so we would yeah. dress like zeppelin and play a whole set of zeppelin and then we played a set of our original music at the end and in the middle we would play all the metal hits yeah. being, up in Ut- being up in utica new york i mean how was the scene back then because i mean I, if I, I'm from New York myself, down in the city, but between, I'm guessing, Albany and Schenectady in that area, 
I mean, you know, the city had a great scene, a vibrant scene. You know, you also had Cortland, which had a really good thing going on with the rods and man of war, and a lot of recording took place there. But how was it up a little further in Utica? Was there enough of a scene, you know, to go, you know, to, to get interested in the music and the bands? Well, yeah, there was definitely, uh, you know, I, I that's what I do. I'm an engineer and a producer. That so I was lucky. I when I was young, I got in with a, a guy who was a producer and had a studio. And I interned with him, and then I interned with the other studio that we had in town, and then subsequently in 88, I opened my own studio. So I was lucky. I, You know, I would stay, you know, as close as I could to the scene. I really never knew how to do anything else but music. So we kind of were pioneers in making a scene. You know, we tried to foster the younger bands, and, you know, we were we had people, you know, a few people who kind of believed us. There's a local radio station here at, the, at that time called 90. Uh, 96.9 WOUR and there was a local jock named uh, Jerry Krause, they used to call him the doctor, and he uh, he really supported us, and that's what, you know, that's what helped us out a lot, and then, you know, we had an agent here, too, who helped us, too, Tony C., he took a chance on us. I, I think we were just, I, we were just lucky to have a few people that really, you know, they seen, you have to see the show to really appreciate what we were doing. It was pretty outrageous. I mean, nobody had cell phones back then. You know, you had to look no. around like a 200-pound camera to film something. But is there any video footage available of anything there you is. did back then? Oh, yeah? There, there is. Yeah, there is. There's, uh, there's a, a reunion show that I stumbled upon from 87, so it wasn't so far off when we had stopped playing. And uh, it's really just great. And we did have a guy, a videographer guy, who was out with us a lot, but he passed away during COVID. A lot of that stuff was lost and you know, I mean, it's been 40 years now, just about. So I have some of it and some pictures. And I think uh, Jeremy from Heaven and Hell Records, he, he really sparked me to, you know, start looking for that stuff and, and, you know, really getting back into it. And we never released that record. So it was just perfect timing after Mere Mortals. He said, well, what about Lootswaps? And I said, sure, let's do it. So that's that's pretty much how it came out. Yeah, I'm glad that it did because, you know, I, I, most people haven't heard this, so this is going to be a surprise when they hear this music, what, what came out of it back then. And like I said, you were young guys, 21 years old. You were just looking to have fun. You weren't planning on putting it out as a record. But what was the game plan at that time? Because the band did go on for quite a few years before, you know. Yeah, you well, just... you know, we, didn't, we recorded that stuff, Mike, in the end, like just near the end. And the only reason why we recorded it was because myself and Gillis said, you know, we should record this stuff and have it for prosperity. So... When we recorded that, the band was just about done, and wow. we just wanted to have it. So that's what, and then it just sat for many, many years. You know, we did go in at a little time there and work on it a little bit to make sure that it sounded a little bit, you know, a little bit finished because it really wasn't totally finished. But that was years and years ago, and it sat. So finally, we uh, ended up putting it out. Thank God that Jeremy, you know, took a chance because I mean, anybody would have to take a chance to put that record out. It's definitely very strange. It is, but I tell you, after you play it once or twice, you're kind of drawn to it. You know, it's like a train wreck where you can't look away. Like, I got to go back and listen to that again. <laughs> it's just, there's just something there that's very catchy. I mean, like, you know, like I said, it's all over the place, but it, it works. I mean, you know, everything kind of fits together and flows nicely. I think that's why it's such a great record. Well, I really appreciate that, Mike. Um, it, it's, I always thought the songs were cool. I mean, the, I would come up with the title, you know, The Chair... And I used to tell Gil, I'd say to him, hey, Gil, how about writing a song about a guy in a wheelchair? And he'd come back with the greatest lyrics. Or what about a song about the ringmaster? And he'd come back with these lyrics, and I'd pen the music, and all of a sudden we had something. 
And, you know, we got out there and really, you know, we, we did a show. I mean, we had that wheelchair on stage and he dressed like a ringmaster. I mean, we used to dress as nuns. I mean, it was pretty, it was, we did a whole set called Nun Metal where we were all dressed as nuns, including the crew. It was really something. That's funny. I really hope more video footage of this can pop up, and I would love to see this if you could actually put it together yeah. into a package. I would. I'll have to send you some stuff. I'll have to send you some kind of. I have to put it up on. I have to at least put some of it up on uh, YouTube and send you a link. There is a, there is a Luftwaffe clip on YouTube from the second reunion show, and I think we're it's a couple of covers us doing opening with Restless and Wild, into like heading out to the highway, and then right into. Um, uh, maybe Heartbreaker or one of those Zeppelin songs because we really we did a very good job with Zeppelin. Dave could really sing that stuff. Slife can really could sing that at that point. Yeah. Well, you know, you said you know after you recorded, you kind of knew the band was over and done with. Was it? it didn't it seem like it was much longer after that that Mere Mortals came about. It seems like one went right into the oh, other. Oh yeah. Just almost just about immediately, I, we were doing a show in Ogdensburg, New York, and believe it or not, they have a dome there. And it was our last show, and um, we were on stage. Luftwaffe was on stage, and I said to the singer, Dave, at that time, he says, look, man, I, I, I want to do this other thing. I got an idea. And the next day, the band was over, and I, you know, we started forming the idea of Mere Mortals. A little bit, definitely more commercial, but it, you know, it's where the music was heading, and then we were really interested in trying to get a deal. I mean, at that point now, we're you know, 23, 24 years old. Let's try to do something. Sure. Does it get to a point where you say to yourself, you know, I, you know, music is my life. This is what I love doing. You know, I may maybe I like hard rock more than heavy metal. I might like classical more than jazz, but I have to play what's relevant and what's going to maybe you know give me the shot to make it. So is that the case with Mere Mortals, where it went in a much more commercial AOR direction? I mean, seeing that it came from Luftwaffe so quickly to that, it seems like you already had a game plan on what you wanted to do, and it just didn't come about like like you know, hey, let's put a band together and see what we can come up with. No, I definitely had the plan. I mean, I didn't have the name. I, I, I wanted to call the band White Knight, I think, at that point. We uh, we lucked out. We had a guy who had a barn with a PA system in it and a lighting. He owned a lighting company and PA company and a stage, and I rented that from him, and we went right in rehearsals with the, with the Mere Mortals uh, idea as such and, and started working up that material. And uh, it just seemed to fall in place. It was all the same guys from Luftwaffe, except for the drummer, but that drummer was the guy who played the last Luftwaffe show because our drummer had been injured. So it was four, the four same guys. I mean, it didn't end that way. Paul, the bass player, went on to play with um, Drive, she said, from New York City. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he went on to do that, So, which was good, were a really good opportunity because he was a few years younger than me, and he, he was very young going into that. And uh, we grabbed another bass player, uh, Bill Carmen, who played in um, – in Mere Mortals, who was just fantastic. And then we added Vince Cavo, who was a keyboard player and guitar player and sang great high harmonies. And, you know, it's just where my music, where I was evolving, I wanted to write those kind of songs. Was everybody else in the band on board with going in that direction, or was there any resistance from somebody saying, maybe I want to keep it the other way or do something a little different? Was everybody, you know, going along for the ride? I think, yeah, they all did. I think that, well, if you see, even Paul went to Drive, which wasn't a heavy band. Um, Dave, the singer, he was a great metal singer, but he just had great pipes all the way around. And, I, you know, he want, I don't think he wanted to, you know, wear those chains on stage anymore. Like, you know, <laughs> we, wanted to clean it, we wanted to clean it up a little bit. You know, you didn't get a lot of chicks out for Luftwaffe. It was more, uh, 
more of a guy-based thing. And then, yeah. you know, I think they always kind of believed in my writing, too. So, you know, I wrote everything in, in Mere Mortals. I wrote just like 99% of that stuff. And the guys were really, really behind it, which was terrific. Well, you know, if Luftwaffe wasn't a hard enough name for people to remember, you said, you know what? Let's come out with some really long title for this record. <laughs> and oh, no, I know. This stunt. Yeah. And we'll, we'll put it out like that. Give, you know, people wouldn't expect a title like that or something that would be more commercially acceptable because, you know, you want to get that audience where they can catch on to it. You just went with a title out of nowhere like that. Well, for the first Mere Mortals record, you mean, yeah. Yeah. Omnia, yeah. I, well, that, that means everything lies late lies failed in numbers we, were, we had the numerology thing kind of going if you open the sleeve of the the record there you see the numerology seven pointed seal there i i was just looking for trappings it was just something to get people more locked into what we were doing you did that well you know this is like 1985 now and you know i think the heavy metal scene kind of hit its peak right there and that's when everything exploded yeah. the bands were like you know breaking big you know, you also had a lot of new wave music that was popular at the time, a lot of pop music. Did you find it difficult, like, where to fit in, like, you know, everything going on, like, all the different genres? Because each one was kind of big in its own way. Well, the Mere Mortals thing it was really amazing that, well, you know, um, it we caught on right away here. It was, like, we didn't come out until the record was ready to come out. So we came out and kept it kind of close. We came out gangbusters with that. People accepted it. You know, I think... At that point, too, though, you had to remember that um, people were listening to Survivor and uh, Spandau Ballet was kind of big and Toto was, in, you know, already in place. So that's what we were kind of shooting in that that realm with Mere Mortals. We were trying to go there with it. With Luftwaffe, we were really in unknown territory when we started that band because, you know, you barely had. I mean, we would go out and play Queen of the Reich by Queensryche and people thought it was our song. They didn't even know who they were yet. Yeah. You know, so it was a, it was a mixed bag back then, and it really was start. I mean, we played up and down the East Coast. We didn't just play in Utica. We we traveled with Luftwaffe. We played as many places as that would have us. But it really was hard to find work at first, and then when it kind of caught on, we were done with it. You know, we wanted to do something different. I, I definitely wanted to do something different. I wanted to be a little bit more conscious of of a uh, bigger demographic. I guess you might say. Sure. There was a second record that came out, a different singer in the band. I think it was a much, I want to say it was a little harder direction than the first record. No, the second record is the same thing. It was him, it's Dave, the second record. He did Mere Mortals record. It's the same guy on both records. And I, nah, I don't know. That pink record, the Immortalized record, is, is still kind of commercial. We never really got back to the heavy stuff. After that, um, I right in a, when we the band closed, Folded was like 1988 or 89, I think 88. I, I opened my own recording studio, Ock Rock, and that's kind of how I got hooked up with Jeremy, too, because I did a few of the bands, produced a few of the bands that were on that label. I think you had um, Roy Costin on your show. I had yeah. done, I did his bands. I did uh, DC Strut and Four Large Men. I produced those records for him. So, yeah, I, I was on the map with that. You know, I, I left music for a while as far as playing myself and started producing people and did you know quite a few records quite a few maybe 400 wow that's a pretty pretty impressive yeah. catalog when I mean, you think about it, it's a lot of records but, you know, but i with, worked my butt off uh, yeah with me and mortals i mean when did you know it was over i mean this is it's like the writing on the wall or you just say you know when we're not going anywhere it's not happening let's just close well, it you down know what happened the, the, the singer left he decided to move to new york city it was uh 
he left uh, he had some female he was interested with and he wanted to pursue that and we did tryouts for singers and we found a guy his name was Stearns Bull and and he was a good singer but he was more of a Jeff Tate kind of guy and it just didn't work we played one show with him and after that show I just said nah I, I'm done with this I was just over it I was just over it and I, I made the conscious decision in my head maybe a couple of weeks before that is if this does fold, I'm going to open a recording studio. I mean, I had interned at a couple of studios prior to that. So it was, uh, it was a career move and uh, it was a good move actually then. I mean, what does it take to break up a band? I mean, cause you hear a lot of people saying, you know, the members leave the fight, they don't get along or there's management issues or they're, they give it a certain amount of time, but you kind of know, like, you know, when it's over, I mean, even though you put all your oh, blood, yeah. sweat, tears into it, is it hard to leave it behind? Oh God, yeah. I mean, that band was really hard because that was all my music. It was, it was definitely hard to leave it behind. We had gone and done that Dance Party USA show, so we had national exposure there. We had record company interest at one point, but it just once the singer left, the formula just was, you know. And you have to remember that singer is the same guy from Luftwaffe, so yeah. I had worked with him all through Luftwaffe and all through Mere Mortals, and we were good friends, and we're still friends to this day, but. It just wasn't the same when he left. We just, the spark was missing. And, I, you know, I, I had written for him. Everything was written in his keys. And uh, without his voice, it just didn't seem right to me. And it was time to turn the page. I know you said you gave up on the actual part of that part of the music. But did you ever think about doing another band since that time? Well, I did. Yes, I did. I, I actually had, had a band called Big Crush. Um, we put four CDs out. We had four records out, and uh, that just folded about 12 years ago when I lost the keyboard player. He was one of my best friends, and he had passed away. So we called it a day, but we had very good success with Big Crush. Uh, it was a very, very, very much like Toto, very, very much, and uh, very good vocals and really well put together L.A.-based material, that type of style. Yeah. You know, every time you start up a new band, you say stuff. Oh, here we go again. We gotta, gotta start this all over yeah. again. Or is it more like you know, there's that excitement to it? Say, hey, this is new, it's fresh, and you know. But you know, you know, there's a lot of work in building up the momentum to get those bands going. So, is it like a catch twenty two? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And before that, I was the side man almost because I have produced. I know you've heard of these guys, Taurus. I yep. produced uh, a record record for Tony Taurus, and I was in that band Taurus for a while. So we toured on that record, his first record. And I still had the studio at that time, so I was kind of doing double duties. Also, I um, had had shut the studio down for maybe about a year, and I went on the road with Suicidal Tendencies as uh, Rocky's Tech, and you know, uh, you know, did a tour of uh, Europe with um, Rage Against the Machine, their very first tour with Suicidal, and then went out with Megadeth on the um, Countdown to Extinction tour. So I did that for you know about a year and a half, also. Uh, also, um, uh, their other band, too, their uh, Infectious Grooves. I was on that busload of Freaks tour. So I did get out and do that, too. And then I came back to the studio for a while. So, yeah, I, I tried to keep my career, you know, kind of interesting. And, you know, I tried to, you know, I kept moving up the ladder, but I could never seem to get that that hit. I did get a Grammy nomination for working on an engineering category for uh, Boston's Corporate America record, but I never was able to really you know, parlay it any bigger than that, but it's definitely something I still do. I make records right to this day. As a matter of fact, I just had three records come out in the last uh, six months. 
the the music business is a brutal one. You really gotta love it to be to be a part of it. I don't know how to do anything else. You know, I, I teach also, so I have guitar students and bass students. I really don't know how to do anything else except music. So at my age now, I'm 61 now. I'm I'm still still consider myself viable, and I you know just keep shooting for the stars. Well, you know, now with the release again of Mere Mortals and people hearing Lufre for the first time, is there any chance of bringing out the big bombs again and getting back up on stage with those guys? Nah, you know, it's it's bad because the drummer in Luftwaffe, he passed away about seven months ago. Oh, wow. And, which was Tim Gillis who wrote the songs with me. So he's gone. And then Dave Slife, who was the singer in Mere Mortals and Luftwaffe, got into a very serious motorcycle accident. And he has, like plates in his face and around his waist he walked with a cane and he was trached twice so his voice isn't like it used to be anymore so somehow the heaven said no more so that was the end both of those bands could never be you know brought back up on stage again you would never think of redoing it with other people if it wasn't them there's no I, way of doing I, it. I don't think i don't really i don't think so i don't think anybody could play gillis's parts and I don't. I know that nobody could sing those songs like Dave's life did. He was the guy. He was just the guy. I mean, yeah. I tried it once by bringing another guy, and it just didn't work. And you know what? As much as I love that material, it's in the past. I mean, I was honored that Jeremy had contacted me about putting out the stuff. And, I mean, it's just fantastic, and it's been great. We had, like, a little record release where we just invited friends to a, um, a corner bar and just to see who would show up, and it was mobbed. I mean, it was mobbed, which was great. You know, it was really great. It was great for Paul and for Dave and for myself to be rock stars for like two and a half hours. And then I came back home at 10 o'clock at night, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. You know how it goes, you know? Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, did you think like 30, 40 years later there would be interest in this music? Did you think people just forgot about the bands and everything that you did? Well, I always I always thought, you see, Mere Mortals never came out on CD. It was only on vinyl. I always thought that maybe at some point I would try to get those out on, on CD, but I, ne- I I knew that the Luftwaffe stuff was good, but it had to be somebody really crazy to want to take a shot to put that stuff out. And, I mean, I know you're friends with Jeremy. He's really, he's very eclectic in his taste. And yeah. I, I think even he was a little worried to put this stuff out because it is definitely, you know, different. He had friends listen to it, and they really couldn't categorize it. But that's, you know, to his... um his smart being smart as he is i think it's a good record and i think people are really gonna really uh um last on to it i I think so too i mean over the last few decades have you ever gone back to any of these things and listened to them again over to see like what you did or is this like kind of the first time that you really had like an in-depth look at all this old music that you put out well you know it's kind of cool is my son's 20 and um he's an autistic kid and he's uh i'm with him all the time and I've never, I mean, I've talked about Luftwaffe with him, but I never sat and went over the lyrics with him and showed him, I found the videos and had him digitized and showed him that stuff and the Mere Mortal stuff. And for me, it's great because he gets to see, you know, a look and the, you know, how crazy his dad was back then. Still kind of crazy now, but it's just a good thing. You know what I mean? It, I, that's, I went back then, but I didn't always go back and listen to it. No, but people always bring it up. You know, I'd run into people on the streets and say, Bob, Luftwaffe, you know, they'll yell Luftwaffe or they'll, you know, they'll remember Mere Mortals. Mere Mortals was very popular around here. So, yeah, I mean, every once in a while, but I never, ever thought about, thought that somebody would reissue this stuff, and I think it's just really great that they did. It is, and it's going to find a whole new audience, because what's funny is, like, you know, when we were younger, 
I never really listened to my parents' music. You know, I wanted to find my own way. But these kids today are so big into the 70s and the 80s. They, like, love and live for everything that we went through back then. And it's like a whole new audience that you're going to find, that, you know, with, with this music, which I think is great. Yeah, it is great. And Lootwop is so tongue-in-cheek and the lyrics are so out there that I think kids would like to listen to it. I mean, you know, uh, trying to look voodoo in a snakeskin tutu. I mean, come on. The guy was so out of his time. Like you said, it was definitely a Zappa-esque kind of thing, but his lyrics and somehow melded with my music. And I think it's, I think people are really going to, I'm hoping that people will really take a liking to it and that, you know, it'll live on, you know, forever. I'm sure they will. You know, you kind of created magic back then. You didn't realize it when you were doing it. You weren't planning anything going with it. But, you know, all these years later, it comes out. People are like, I don't know what to make of this. And it's like, holy cow, this is really good. <laughs> it's, you know, it's yeah. just the way it goes. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's really great. And it was I remastered the stuff before uh, giving it to Jeremy. And just sitting there remastering it brought back so many memories of, you know, cutting those tracks. I mean, all those basic tracks were cut live on the floor. And I mean, the the lead vocal was definitely overdubbed in some guitar tracks here and there, but it was basically cut as a band in a room, just blowing through the tracks. And I remember we cut all those, those eight tracks were cut in one day in the course of maybe four or five hours. And then of course there was overdubs and stuff like that, but the basic tracks went down really solid and we hadn't played together in a little bit because Gillis had left the band. There was a different drummer in there. He came back to do these tracks, which was awesome true. I mean, you know, there's always those like Monday morning quarterback moves where you say, you know, if we did this, if we did that, maybe something would be different. Do you ever feel that way about any of the moves that you made with any of the two bands? I, 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 yes and no. I don't think Lutwafa, we were ever destined to make something happen with that because we never thought that way. Mere Mortals, on the other hand, I think if the keyboard player came out front and was the lead vocalist, which I wanted him to, Vince, we could have kept the thing rolling because we had more material. We were ready to record. We had just got done. There's a little documentary that was filmed. We had legs on it. It was still really happening, but the wind just got knocked out of my sails. You know, it just, after the singer left and we just couldn't replace him, it just didn't sound the same. I just lost it. You know, I wanted a keyboard player to step up. He could have done it. He just wasn't ready. He wasn't a front guy. But later on, of course, he became the front man in my band, Big Crush, and sang on all on three of those four records. So you just never know. You can't ever think back and say shoulda, woulda, coulda. I, I just always, if, as you can see, I always just kept moving forward. Yeah. And you know what? It's a chemistry thing, too. I mean, you knew what you had with that singer, and, and it worked, and that's the way you had the band envisioned in your mind. That's the only way you wanted to see it. And when it doesn't work like that, you know, you kind of lose a little, you know, it's just it's not oh, sure. I get that you know you have a band like ACDC you know you, you replaced Bon Scott with Brian Johnson and you came in bigger than you were before you know and, and it made it work for them but yeah. it doesn't happen all the time for everybody it just doesn't work that way yeah no sometimes it doesn't and you know when you stand next to somebody on stage for you know three four five years you know it, it's you're almost married to them you know so it's you get used to a certain thing it was really hard to change that for me that's true. Hey, Robert, I appreciate you talking. I'm going to have to let you go because I want to get on some more of your music and I have another guest waiting Sounds on the wings to come on. But it's been a pleasure talking with you today. And you know what? Mm-hmm. If anything else comes out, we're going to do this again. I'm hoping to get some videos of that Luftwaffe. I'm hoping you find them. And I would love to see you. that state right, show. Mike. But you take Thank care, you. my friend. It was great talking to All you. Right, take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's get on some mere mortals and then we got to get the laws in a few minutes. Here's Morning Light. Oh, 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 oh,
Alright, what a great set of music over there. I haven't heard Dark Wizard in a very long time. Trip to Doom, before that, Cyclone Fall into his command, and Maltese Falcon Metal Rush. Cyclone's going to be in the, in the States next year. I don't know if they're doing just the, uh, uh, the Blades of Steel Festival in Wisconsin, or if they're going to be out on tour. I have no idea yet, but they're definitely going to be there. So if you're looking to see the band, that's the place to be next year. Alright, let's get to this interview with Lars Lindor from Steel Inferno. We'll play a couple of songs off the new record, and then we're going to wrap things up here tonight. So here you go. Here's Caught by Her Web.
sort because there's a lot of drumming going around here. Okay. It's the first time I'm using my phone for this one, so I just gotta figure out how to. Otherwise, I just have to drop the headset and. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Perfect. Skip the headset and just do it like this. Okay. It's all audio anyway, so we're okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, I have to tell you, I came into the band a couple of years ago with your last record, and it blew me away. And when this new one came out, Evil Rain, I was like, wow. I mean, I didn't know where the band was going to go. A new singer, you know, the pandemic. So, oh, oh, now they came on, so you have to say, you, I heard Evil Rain, and then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was saying, I became a fan of the band when the last record came out in 2020. And, yeah. you know, I was like, two years go by, there's a new singer in the band, the pandemic hit, and everything kind of got, you know, put on hold in the world, and I didn't know how the band was going to sound, and when I put the new record on, I was blown away. I mean, it's hard to replace the singer of a band, especially when you go from a female to a male, but you guys managed to do it. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 how did it all come about? I mean, Karen was with the band for the first two records. Very distinctive sound and voice and band. What caused the change? Um, Karen, she just didn't feel like uh, it just didn't have any f- more fun being in the band, and so there were absolutely no hard feelings. She just was think- starting to feel like it was becoming another day job, and when you start feeling like that about your uh, your music, your passion, then then you should do the obvious thing and. Don't play anymore because other, because it, if it's not fun, don't do it. And so that's that's actually that's pretty much the story. No no drama or no anything. Just you know, getting a little fed up with you know, oh, it's not fun anymore. So true. When it's not fun, it shows in your performance. I mean, you can't put your heart into it if you're not really, you know, having a good time doing it. Exactly. Well, I mean, Evil Rain comes out, like I says, and the first song I hear, you know, is Siren of the Air, and it kind of blew me away. And I was like, all right, these guys really found, I think, the right replacement for Cameron, because I think if he went with another female singer, it might not have worked out right. So I think going with, you know, the new one, it really worked. It definitely, it, it, uh, we had the opportunity to go in a lot of different directions, suddenly, because we weren't constrained by, you know, oh, she has to sound... She has to sound exactly like Karen. So you're probably right. If we had gone with another female singer, we would have to say, oh, try to do it a little more. Karen, she used to do it like this. And right now, we're just like, no, we are, we are not starting from scratch, but almost. You know, just to say, we can do whatever we want. And and what we wanted to do was, I guess, pursue a more pure metal-oriented direction compared to... Uh, the first two albums, which had some, of course, classic speed metals, thrash-oriented, uh, new wave songs, but it, it also had, you know, it had, it had a diff- some kind of a little more rockish vibe, you know, in the in, in the whole constru- some of the constructions. And uh, this album, I thought, said, okay, no more, not. All the more experimental songs that were the first two albums, I don't think they're there now. They're more cut to the bone in the direction we want to to go. That's at least how I perceive the songs. I agree completely. I mean, how did you come across Chris? Was he somebody that you knew? 
uh, he uh, yeah, he played in a in a band some years ago uh, that we played with. So, and but we could, didn't know really know him. But it happens he came to one of our shows one when we had a show with Burning Witches, and we started talking, and uh, and then then we became friends on Facebook, you know, and and then because of that he saw. When we put up an ad that we were looking for a new singer, and said, "Hey, yeah, I'm ready to do." So he had he had he had had a break doing uh, metal for some years, and so he wanted to to start started looking for a band again. And then we hooked up just before, like a couple of weeks before the pandemic hit, and we, you know, just said, okay. So we had time to to start writing new songs with new material from. Without being constrained by doing having to do live shows or anything, so we had a couple of uh, quite a long period where we just could focus on getting uh, getting Christian into into the band and writing new songs. I, I guess in a way, maybe the pandemic kind of helped out with the band because you did have that time to put into getting this new lineup together and making it click and making it sound right because. You know, you always hear from bands, like in the very beginning, you know, you have a whole bunch of songs that you write and you work on, then you get that first record and you put it out. Now you're in the mm. studio trying to write new songs because you're under like a, like a time constraint, I guess, in a way, to have a new product put out. And it does affect the songwriting when you have to write from the studio to an album where you, know, you already have a lot of songs in the bag before you know, that first album comes out. I think that's kind of like what happened with this record. It gave you that time to kind of flesh out the sound the band was going to go with. Definitely. We we were able to just focus on this is what we want to do. So um, we and and we think we succeeded in, in in doing that. When I look at this, uh, all the songs they're all you know we have a couple of slower songs, but you know they're very but they're very much you know in yeah they it's like a it's like a whole album you can. Uh, in, in the same that goes in the same direction and it's pretty nice oh absolutely you know because you were all together for this record and working on it and coming up with the sound that works around you know Chris's voice and the, and what you want to do with him did you have to sit down before he got into the band and say you know how's it going to work with you know aesthetics of decay and Gerdster still you know with him singing those songs because there would definitely be a different vibe to them with him on vocals yeah uh, the, we currently we we only live at the moment. We probably only play like four or five of the old songs because his vocal vocal range is very different than Karen's, and and the and the singing style is very different also. So we are occasionally trying to find some of the old songs that he can sing, but it's sometimes it's quite hard but yeah like songs like aesthetics of decay and city lights we can play those and but as one of the, like the title songs from uh, and the earth should still he's not really able to sing that one he, he it's just uh, he's, he has a different singing style so some of the songs even though there are some songs that we played for for a long time with karen live uh, it just we just don't play them anymore and it's i mean Luckily, we got a whole new album with killer songs that we can choose from, so we're not like <laughs> we, we we still have to cut cut the settler short in every time anyway. So it's it's not like we're missing material to play live, but that's true. Would you think about going back and re-recording some of the older songs that do work with Christoph vocals? Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out, but it's 
it would probably not not for albums though it would probably be more for either for fun putting on bandcamp youtube or putting them on some b-side if we ever release a uh, 70s single or a japanese version something like that we would definitely we we we, we were considering doing some of that but but for not not for the album we think that yeah it's 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 one period where we did those songs, so no, not I don't think for an album. Yeah, so many bands, uh, if they find it very hard to let go of the past and let go of things they did before, especially when it's the first album and second record. But you seem very willing to like move on and just keep moving the band forward based on where you are now. Definitely, that's. I mean, but now we are all we are already focused because you know this um, when you record an album. It takes at least almost uh, six six months, or sometimes a whole year before it gets released. And we w- we went into the studio back in February, and and of course we were ready to go into the studio way before February. So all the songs they're more than a year, probably at least a year old now. The newest ones of the old songs. So I mean we're already working on new songs so right now. So even though the album just came out, you know we're just like eager to start getting on creating new material and because it is, it's probably a good time to because you right now we're getting the reviews we're getting the feedback what works on the album and we can start to incorporate that and say hey this really works and so it's probably you know it's 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 a good time to um to start being creative again of course we want to go out and play shows and but right now we, we also have to focus on uh the next album that's true I, I mean you know the first record was out on Inferno Records a very well known label but you put the second record out on your own I believe you went independent on that one no actually we uh, the first first uh, CD was out on uh, Inferno Records and the album came out on um, Deadbangers Productions which is a small uh, Danish label that was the vinyl version and the cassette version and the second album it was released by Deadbangers Productions, the album, and pretty much the same same guy. Uh, but he had so he had a sub label for CDs only. But so it's it's um, the owner of a record shop called Mephi- uh, the record shop is called Mephisto. He has this label called Deadbangers Productions. So this guy who's been in the underground things underground for ages. He used to do a Deadbangers uh, Deadbangers synth with a with another friend and. So they've been active in the Danish metal underground for many years, and so and they he only you know releases the the, the albums that he really likes. So yeah, the new record is coming out through from the vaults. You know they have a great distribution system and, and a great PR team behind them. You know back in the '80s, you had to get signed to a, a label, whether it was an underground label or a major label for distribution, and just to get the name of the band out there, there was no other way. But today with the internet, I mean, you could go on there on your own, promote your band, click a button. I mean, is it still important to have a label back in the band up today? Well, we we tried both. We tried doing uh, independent releases with the single uh, Arcade Warrior and with the what we called the demo, which was basically an EP, but we didn't want to call it an EP. Uh, and and as well with the the especially with. And the Earth stood still, which was pretty much uh, at least distri- uh, not distribution-wise, but promotion-wise, we had to do all the work ourselves. And 
and we could have of course we could have done a lot more but but it's real hard work you have to do a lot of work and and a lot of sins they don't take it seriously when the band writes you know they don't reply you back you don't hear anything so you have to be yeah you have to be 100% DIY into the do-it-yourself thing and and have a lot of time doing it and, and, and finding joy in doing it because honestly it was part of what it started taking joy away from me at least because I had to do a lot of it so uh, definitely I think that having a label uh, being able to support you with the promotion with the getting the reviews and getting feedback is a tremendous advantage compared to doing it yourself so so even if you can put on your music online there's a big difference at least from the band perspective suddenly because now we know that we're having a lot of feedback on the album and we know people suddenly know that we exist in in, in a way i wouldn't have imagined a year ago so so i would definitely say no no way it's People who say that record labels are dead, they're definitely exaggerating, or they haven't tried putting out an album themselves. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, I think I think our music scene right now, the metal world, is in a better place than it has been in a very long time. Uh, a lot of bands coming out, good quality bands, a lot of great productions, a lot of labels popping up that are really, you know, supporting these bands. Something that was kind of missing, I think, you know, in the eighties. Hmm. Yeah, because that's a good thing about the internet that even a small label can suddenly have a, uh, you know, more promotion. That's a good thing about it. You have you have a you have a space for the smaller labels like like Deadbangers Productions. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily call Front the Walls a small label because it's got it's sub label from one of the bigger ones. But a lot of like Jawbreaker Records in Sweden and there are a lot of you know small labels popping up here and there and. Um, because of the internet, you can actually get in contact with them, and they can get a distribution. That's true. I mean, how is it playing locally today? Because, you know, a lot of bands weren't able to travel over the last two years. Is there enough of a scene in Copenhagen to keep the band active? Or do you really find you have to kind of branch out all over Europe? Uh, we're, we're definitely aiming for branching out more in Europe, especially Germany. We would like to play more there. Um, and But we ha- we've had quite successful with playing shows both in Copenhagen but also especially a little further away from Copenhagen in, in, in Jutland which is like uh, three, four, five, six hours from Copenhagen which is compared to in a, in a transatlantic comparison uh, uh, still short but in Denmark it would be you can't, can hardly get any further away in a, in a Danish context but uh, we had that, that's where we have played some of our best shows it's actually outside of Copenhagen do you find yourself having to pick and choose where and when you play, or are you willing to take on any show anywhere? Because some bands, they want to just like try to get onto that festival circuit and go from country to country just playing the festivals. Other bands will go out for weeks at a time playing every club they can get into. I mean, is there a game plan when it comes to getting the band out there to play live? That's what we actually, at the moment, we're discussing what, what, how we should do it. If we should go just for the festival jobs, or we should just do, you know, the two weeks tour. We haven't really decided on that yet because some of us, you know, have, have kids full-time jobs and, and two, two of the other guys don't. So it's, we're, not, we're in different uh, positions to do that. So we haven't quite figured out 
exactly what we want to do we, because we wanted you know we also wanted to wait just to see what happens when this album comes out do we get the invitations or do we have to start breaking down breaking down doors and saying hey we're here yeah. we'll probably do both but uh, you know it's that's so we just you know we we it's, it's hard to get shows when you don't haven't had when you don't have an album out yet so at least sure. outside of you know the, the known circles the Copenhagen metal area and the Danish festivals which pretty much know us yeah you know, looking at some of the reviews you know for Evil Rain I haven't seen a bad review yet but does it bother you when people give you a bad review because I mean you know there's a way of doing it we say well you know you know, Steel Inferno is not my kind of band but I like what they're doing but then there's like the people that are very mean and very nasty about it just for the sake of being mean I mean do you really read a lot into the reviews or do you kind of know this is our music and I know what we're creating and it's good uh, so, so I'm not sure I understand the question. So, what's if we had any for, bad reviews for, for Evil Rain? There's been a lot of good reviews in, in, the, in yes. the magazines and online. Nobody has anything bad to say about it, but there's always that one person that wants to say something bad just because they want to make trouble. Uh, does it bother you when people write negative stuff about the band? Uh, not that they if they don't like the music, but sometimes you know what bothers me is more that. If they don't try to understand our music, that's mm -hmm. that bothers me more because I have a uh, we have a very clear idea of what kind of uh, scene we are we are uh, you know we're a certain part of the eighties scene that we are we are inspired by and a, a certain uh, s scene at the moment that we are aspiring to to be part of so. So if you if you don't understand where we're coming from and where we what we're aiming at, then it sometimes bothers me a little bit because it, then as an interviewer or as a reviewer you haven't done your job honestly because sometimes you know some of the questions they ask me oh where do you come from what do you do you know come on just like ask us about our music ask us about oh, how we work creatively you know just luck but luckily a lot of the reviews I read they. They really understand it very well, and they get the references that 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 we think yes, this is they understand it. Thank you. So, but sometimes you know you bump into these couple of users and say, ah, come on, this this is a lazy job. It's more more that I never 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 read anything real mean really. Yeah, you know, the band definitely has its foot in the eighties. But it's so much more than that. I mean, you could hear all the influences that have come out over the decades, whether it's been locally or internationally. You didn't just say, hey, we're going to be an 80s metal band. There's a lot going on that's very modern and very new mixed in with your sound. Definitely. I would, because, I, I mean, we, we, most of us didn't, we, of course, we grew up listening to, to the classic 80s metal bands, but uh, the... Of basis, he was young in the eighties, but you know, uh, at least three of us, we were, we were young in the early nineties. So it was more a mix between punk, death metal, and hardcore, and different, and and, and thrash metal. So of, we had, of course, a different, uh, different approach to it. And Christian, our singer, he's, he's only in, in his twenties, uh, so of course he didn't grow up listening to that. Of course he listened to it, but. That you always you cannot help getting inspired by the current scene in some way, and so. But at least it's probably more like how we at least we don't want to sound, but. But definitely, it's it's not, 
we 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 steal from a lot of different inspirations. I would say. Oh, you can hear it in all of your songs and all of your music. I mean, when the, I mean, it's been ten years since the band's been formed. When you first got together and you wanted to start this band, was there a distinctive sound that you were looking for, or did it come about when you guys started playing together for the first time, or did you know, you know, I want to kind of combine all these styles together. This is what I want to do. Here's where I want to go. Or did it just come out more organically where you, when you started writing and playing together, you created, you know, the Steel Inferno sound and said, hey, we have something here. I had definitely had some clear ideas on which direction I wanted to go, which was more definitely more an early accept Judas priest oriented direction. And but also, you know, I probably wanted it to be a little hotter in the beginning. But then Karen joined and suddenly said, holy shit, I don't, we don't have to play that hard to to have a powerful expression and so we tried to develop and experiment with with uh, Karen as a singer because Karen she had never sung in a metal band before so she was a, come from a hard rock background so we had we had a lot of it was a definitely a more experimental period in the, in the band's uh, existence so but yes it was def- more from a Euro- european oriented sound whereas the new album would say probably aiming a little more at a at a at a US power metal early speed thrash metal oriented sound more so it's more US oriented sound we have on the new album I would say. I agree. I mean is is Steel Inferno the kind of band that would keep evolving from album to album, always doing something new, something different? Or do you kind of feel like, you know, you hit your groove and you know this is where you're gonna go with it right now? Uh, I think we kind of like you know we want to develop the sound that we have on this album, but take it further and and definitely we know probably trying to uh, you know it it would be boring just to write another oh then we need another breakout then we need another song like No Escape then we need another one like this we need I think that we need to throw in a, some new inspirations from here and there I, I and I have absolutely no idea what those ideas it, it, what those ideas could be yet. It could be anything from you know incorporating more progressive uh, rock elements, more seventies styles sound. It could be uh, even eighties synth pop. I don't. I have no clue. You know all these things that we that we dig and could be we could probably throw them into it and see how it turns out when you, when they get much into a steel inferno uh, raging speed metal machine so it's so you never hear where the inspiration came from but you know it was just like what the what, what's happening here i mean i don't know but, but it's definitely some of the ideas that we are exploring uh, that that of course we have a cool sound now we want to develop that further but keep keep the ideas and inspirations coming into the band yeah I mean, the band has had a pretty consistent lineup since the beginning. You know, three quarters of you are, are still with the band from the beginning. Does it help having a consistent lineup? And what is the hardest part about keeping a lineup together today? I know, like it says, you know, people have children, they have jobs, they have things going on, and it kind of makes it hard after a while. But when you join a band, you have to know from the beginning that you have to put a lot of time and effort into that band to make any, anything happen. You know, so yeah. it, what's the hardest part of keeping the band together today? Uh, it has to keep on being fun for everyone. We have because you know when we're like a band like this, you know you have a lot of discussions. It's not only coming to the studio, uh, playing uh, kick-ass music every once 
every week. You have to do a lot of a uh, lot of work, like like uh, of course the fun parts are doing interviews like this, and but you also have to do you have to do the driving. You have to spend hours uh, folding your t-shirts so you can sell them at the show. You have to pick up the gear before and after the shows. You have to. There are a lot of, you know, all these things that you have to do, which kind of sucks sometimes, but you just have to do it. And it's for every every time you stand at the stage and get like 10 minutes of of, of wow time that say, yeah, fucking this man, I'm a rock star. You know, there are at least probably like 1,000 minutes for each minute on stage that goes before that into putting that energy on stage. So, um you have to be willing to put that much effort into it, I think. It's true. People don't realize how much work goes on behind the scenes to make a show happen, to make an album happen, to get merchandise out on the on the table. There's a lot of work behind it, and you yeah. guys are doing a great job of it. And Lars, I'm not going to keep but, you, but I just wanted to say, you know, the album's only been out about a week, technically about a week so far, and it's getting great reviews. I mean, what do you guys have planned, you know, for the rest of this year? 2022 is almost over, but... Are there any big plans for this year? Are you concentrating on next year right now? Well, we had uh, quite a. We had. We've been playing shows at least once a month for the couple of up to, until the show, and we have a. We had played a festival last weekend. This weekend, last weekend we had the at the record store that I mentioned before, Mephisto Records in Copenhagen. We had an in-store where we did a signing session and, and met with some of the, the people who supported us through the way. And next weekend. We're having a release party at a local local club, which is gonna be a very small, packed bar, and so it's gonna be one of those very intense shows. Then there's no stage; it's just like face-to-face contact. So exactly like we love it, you know. It's and at the week after, we're doing a DJ session at a bar that uh, our record company has. So we have a, a lot of small things, and then probably probably we're gonna sit down and figure out where we want to focus on which summer festivals we should focus on trying to get the shows to and and starting writing some new songs because you know we've been we we've kind of feel like we've been pretty busy with this album getting getting it ready so it's it's probably not the time to rest but you know it's probably uh it since we don't have that many shows planned in the next couple of months it's a good time to you know start getting creative because i think we need we need that we've we need to start feeling creative energy again just to see, okay, where can we go from here? I hope you guys do that. And, and Lars, like I said, I'm not going to keep you. I appreciate you talking with me today. Evil Rain, it's out right now from the vault. I mean, great job on this record, my friend. I'm a big fan, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Thank you, man. You so, ha- pleasure, pleasure talking to you. And, you too, uh, Lars. <laughs>
by Brand New Steel Inferno, caught by Hawaii. I want to thank Lars and Rob for being on tonight's show. I will see you guys next Sunday night. Invid is our guest. Don't forget to tune in. I'm not sure who's calling in yet. We'll find out during the week. I think it might be one or two band members. But Invid is our guest next week. Leather Leone after that. And we're going to wrap up the year with live guests with Maddox on the 18th of December. All right, let's close it out here tonight with some Anvil Bitch. Here's Vengeance of the Sword. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday night. Cancer knows no boundaries, doesn't care about zip codes, income, age, but neither do we. As New York's most experienced cancer team, Northwell brings life-saving care to all with our network of nationally recognized hospitals and specialists. Because boundaries shouldn't exist when it comes to defeating cancer and raising health for every neighborhood, for every community, for you. Visit northwell.edu slash saving lives. Northwell Cancer Institute. Raise health. Take advantage of Johnson & Johnson's Winter Wellness Event and get rewarded. It pays to be prepared for the season. Get sweet deals from Johnson & Johnson's Winter Wellness Event now through December 3rd. If you purchase $15 or $25 of participating products at BJ's, you can get a $5 or $10 reward. Plus, you can even enter to win a Visa Rewards card. Purchase at BJ's, upload your receipt, and choose your reward. It pays to be prepared at BJ's.